Locked On Boston Bruins Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily Boston Bruins podcast where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. These days, we're down to about three per week because of COVID-19 and the NHL regular season slash playoff pause. Uh, nevertheless, to keep up with the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, please follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. You can also send feedback to LockedOnBostonBruins at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Ian C. McLaren as well. The podcast can be found on whatever app you use to download your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. Kindly subscribe so that anytime there's a new episode, it's right there on your feed for you to download and listen. If you are an Apple user, I would highly uh, request, highly request, that doesn't make sense. I would uh, kindly request that you leave a rating and review. That would be very much appreciated. Uh, This week on the show, we're going to be looking back at some of the best moments from the 2019-20 season, such as it was today. Getting back to movie Monday, a few weeks ago, I looked at Goon and then Goon Last of the Enforcers and also at the Boston Bruins 2011 championship video, uh, kind of as a pseudo movie there. This week, we're getting back to actual Hollywood hockey movies by looking at the Mighty Ducks. And then we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL Uh, coming up later in the week. I'll be requesting some of your favorite moments from this season. So be sure to hit me up on Twitter or by email if you have any suggestions. And later on, I hope to talk to a special guest that I referred to on the podcast uh, last week in reference to Brandon Carlo and uh, yeah, some cool things happening behind the scenes with the Bruins during the pause as they look to keep in touch and keep each other encouraged. But first, let's get to my Movie Monday review of The Mighty Ducks. 1992 American sports comedy drama film about a youth league hockey team, which was directed by Stephen Herrick and starring Emilio Estevez. Stephen Herrick, if you're unfamiliar with that name, you probably remember some of his movies, notably Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Three Musketeers, Mr. Holland's Opus, and the live-action version of 101 Dalmatians. The budget for Mighty Ducks was a healthy $14 million. It ended up making $50.8 million, which was a great success, and spurred two additional sequels, which we will get to later on. Um, Reception-wise, it wasn't really critically well-received. There's a 23% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 30 reviews. Uh, My kids thought that was a bit low, but I reminded them that it's mostly, you know, adults who are reviewing these movies. And if you want an honest assessment of it, you probably have to ask the target audience. Roger Ebert, for example, said the film was sweet and innocent and that at a certain level, it might appeal to younger kids. I doubt if its ambitions reach much beyond that. He gave it a two-star rating. So, yeah, not really made for Roger Ebert, which would, yeah, explain the two-star rating. But if you ask a target audience, it was 
obviously very popular based on the box office and its reception on home video where it made $54 million in rentals alone, according to Video Week magazine. So, Mighty Ducks, what is it all about? Well, as the beginning credits roll, we see a flashback to a young Gordon Bombay appearing in the Minneapolis area Peewee Finals, where he has an opportunity to take a penalty shot for the win, pulls off the infamous triple deke, and unfortunately clangs it off the post, much to the chagrin of his hard-ass coach, who will come by later in the movie. Cut to present day, where Gordon Bombay is a successful but kind of dickish Minneapolis-area defense attorney. He wins his 30th case and celebrates by going out drinking, as one does. He's arrested for drunk driving and sentenced to 500 hours of community service, coaching the local District 5 Pee Wee hockey team, which at the time is only known as D5. Bombay, like I mentioned, had an unpleasant history with the sport. It was in 1973, I guess, that he was the star player of the Hawks. He was struggling with the loss of his father, and he missed that penalty shot in a championship game, disappointing Jack Riley, who's played by Lane Smith. Uh, the Hawks went on to lose in overtime, which we learned later was one of only uh, a few of their championship defeats, a very successful team, the Hawks. So Gordon Bombay meets the District 5 team by attending their practice, which for some reason is being held outdoors. He drives onto the ice in his limo. The kids kind of famously, not famously, hilariously uh, jump on his limo and start shaking it around, jump inside. This comes after uh, we've already kind of met the kids, I think. Is that after? Anyway, some of the kids we've already seen, at some point they feed a dog some chili, fill a purse with dog poop, plant it on the road with a dollar bill sticking out. A guy comes, chases them, or no, he finds the thing, realizes what's inside, pulls over, starts chasing them. They get away, but it's a pretty funny scene. My kids enjoyed that part, and I had a good laugh about it. So, cut to Bombay at this practice. He realizes the kids have no where to practice, no equipment, and no talent, really. Their first game is, of course, against the Hawks, where Bombay meets his old coach, who's still, uh, yeah, behind the bench for the Hawks, and still kind of, you know, just kind of miffed about that uh, broken championship streak that occurred because of Bombay's miss. District 5 is just smashed by the Hawks and Riley demands that they run up the score just to kind of, yeah, just put some salt in the wound for Bombay. He Bombay berates the team for not listening to him and the players challenges authority. Like, who are you to come in? You barely know us, you know, um, why are you giving us the gears like this? Because, you know, it's more Bombay projecting his failures on this team. So for the next game, Bombay tries to teach them how to dive, draw penalties, and kind of try to win that way. They end up losing again, and this just pisses off the players even more and just kind of alienates them from their new head coach. So Bombay visits his old mentor, whose name is Hans. 
He owns a nearby skate shop and was in attendance at that game against the Hawks back in the day. Bombay recalls that he quit playing hockey after losing that game, losing his father, um, and you know because he was blamed by his coach for missing that penalty shot. Hans, however, encourages him to rekindle his childhood passion for the sport. Cut to Bombay going for a morning skate, pre-dawn, twirl around the ice, lying on the snow afterwards, remembering playing with his dad. He then visits Charlie uh, Conway, who's kind of the leader of the team. He apologizes to him and his mother, who was quite upset when they drove out onto the ice and the kids were in the limo. Um, so he's kind of trying to make amends for that and move forward. He then approaches his boss, who's named Gerald Ducksworth, and he asks him to sponsor the team. And they need to purchase, you know, actual equipment and also some ice time so that Bombay can teach them the fundamentals. They also recruit three new players, Tommy and Tammy, who are figure skating siblings, and also Slapshot Specialist and Enforcer Fulton Reed, who's played by Eldon Henson, who you may know these days as uh, Foggy from the Daredevil series on Netflix. The potential of Ducks players like Charlie Conway catches Bombay's eye, and also the goaltending of Goldberg, who after being strung to the posts, realizes that it doesn't really hurt to be hit by the pucks. Sidebar, if you Google Goldberg today, you see that he's fallen on some hard times. Uh, You know, yeah, drug addiction, robbery, and uh, we wish him all the best and hope that he can uh, get himself cleaned up at some point before things go terribly wrong. He takes Charlie, who's played by Joshua Jackson, also known as Pacey Witter on Dawson's Creek, takes him under his wing, teaches him some of the tactics he used playing with the Hawks, including the triple deke, which let's be honest, is more of just fancy stick handling. There's not really anything in there that you would think would uh, really mystify any serious goalies. Uh, They're renamed the Ducks after Mr. Ducksworth and get some jerseys that are kind of green with Blue shoulders and yellow, uh, whatever you call it, uh, kind of accent. Not really the nicest logo, but uh, that gets better when Disney cuts involved later on. So the team fights its next game against the Cardinals, and they earn a tie. Their first non-loss of the season. Uh, A young boy by the name of Carp takes a shot to the head that puts a huge dent in his helmet, uh, Gordon Bombay's concussion test there is to ask him how many fingers holding up, which one of the other players answers he wouldn't know even if he wasn't uh, banged up. Clearly a concussion. Hopefully he went into concussion protocol there and uh, took a f- couple days off because he clearly was not right after that. In another plot twist, Bombay learns that Hawks player Adam Banks, who's played by a kid named Vincent LaRusso, lives... In District 5 and should actually be playing for the Ducks. He threatens Coach Riley into transferring Banks to the Ducks. Um, After overhearing an out-of-contact quote about the team, uh, in which Bombay's like, yeah, these kids are losers. They should give up. Clearly sarcasm. Most of the players walk out, 
resulting in a loss uh, on forfeit to a team called the Flames. The kids just uh, are kind of dumb, I guess. They didn't really get that he wasn't being serious. Um, Bombay, instead of trying to explain what happened, decides to step aside because the kids walked out on him. Charlie gets upset and tells him he needs to say. Cut to a scene in the kids' school where their science teacher is trying to teach them about hydrogen and he says blue balls and they all giggle, which uh, is pretty funny. Uh, They get into a fight in class and the principal comes in. She's trying to discipline them, get them to be quiet, and they all start quacking in a moment of solidarity and unity. While that's going on, Ducksworth has made a deal with Coach Riley for the Hawks to keep Banks. Bombay, he seems tempted, but he refused to take the deal on the principle of fair play. Ducksworth berates him about when he started his community service. Leaves him with the choice of letting his team down or being fired from his job. And Bombay chooses to be fired and continue coaching the Ducks and standing his ground, keeping Adam Banks on the team. He says, a team isn't a bunch of kids out to win. A team is something you belong to, something you feel, something you have to earn in one of the signature speeches from the movie. Bombay manages to regain his players' trust after a speech while they're writing lines on chalkboards saying we will not quack at the principal. He finally explains the concept of sarcasm, and they understand that when he was talking to Coach Riley about them being losers, he was just, you know, playing into that conversation and not talking seriously. Adam Banks decides to stay with the Ducks rather than not play hockey at all. He would have had to sit out if, uh, you know, he wasn't going to report to the Ducks. They don't really give him a warm welcome, freeze him out during the game despite his high skill set. Not very smart for a team uh, lacking in talent. Kind of prideful on their part. Bombay, in a move that would delight the analytics crowd, he pulls the goalie with the score tied because they need the win to get into the playoffs. They do indeed get the win thanks to a Fulton Reed slapper in which uh, everyone on defense jumps out of the way, including the goalie. In an NHL tie-in, they visit the North Stars and meet Mike Badano and Basil McRae, who's arguably my favorite name in hockey history. Bombay is told by McRae that he can uh, call him, and Basil will try to get him a pro tryout, which is pretty cool. Uh, I don't know how easy that is for players to do, but hey, that happens. The Ducks then skid on the NHL ice, get to watch the game against the Whalers. The Ducks then beat teams called the Hornets and the Cardinals. Not, uh, you know, typical hockey team names, but there we are. The Ducks reach the championship against none other than the Hawks. Early in the game, Coach Riley orders his team to injure Banks, forcing him out of the game. However, uh, on that play, this is a bit of a hockey consistency issue. Banks is hit from behind into the net. And bangs his head, shoulder on the post, and is forced to be stretched off. Now, he did score on that play. While he's being stretched off, however, Coach Bombay tells the team to get a power play goal, even though, uh, you know, from that play, even though Banks scored. So why did they get a power play? Because he scored. It should have been waved, or it should have been 
negated the delayed penalty, unless it was a major, in which case their strategy to deploy Fulton Reed should have been exercised multiple times to get multiple goals on that power play. However, they just did get one goal, and uh, eventually the game is tied, forcing it to what seems like overtime until Charlie Conway is tripped by a Hawks player as time expires. In much the same situation that Bombay faced at the beginning of the movie, Charlie Conway prepares for a game-deciding penalty shot. Uh, In, you know, contrast to Riley, who told Bombay that if he missed, he was letting everyone down, Bombay tells Charlie to take his best shot and that he will believe in him no matter what. Inspired by that, Charlie fakes out the goalie with the triple deke, winning the state championship in the process. Ducks and their players race onto the ice in jubilation. Bombay thanks Hans for his belief in him, and Hans tells Bombay that he's proud of him, kind of filling that father role that he's missing after the passing of his father when he was a child. There's no mention of Bombay's mother in this movie. Uh, I can't remember if she comes in in later movies, but as the film wraps up, Coach Bombay is boarding a bus to a minor league tryout, which was secured by him, by Basil McRae. He's daunted by the prospect of going up against younger, more talented players, but he receives the same words of encouragement that he gave Charlie Conway prior to that penalty shot, saying, you know, they believe in him no matter what. Just give it your best shot. Uh, Bombay kisses Charlie Conway's mother prior to jumping on the bus and the look on Joshua Jackson's face is pretty priceless. Um, the very end of the movie, as he's getting on the bus, coach Bombay promises to return next season to defend the title. And we will get to that in D two. When we talk about that next week, as I mentioned, the film grossed over $50 million in the U S and Canada. It became a surprise success with audiences which in turn inspired two sequels and an animated TV series, all of which are on Disney Plus at the moment, if you want to check that out. Uh, Neither of the sequels matched that of the first movie, although they still were financially successful. We also know that Mighty Ducks was the original nickname of the Anaheim Ducks. The club was founded in 1993 by the Walt Disney Company as the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, based, of course, on the movie, Uh, Disney sold the franchise in 2005 to Henry and Susan Samueli, who changed the name to the Anaheim Ducks prior to the 2006-07 season, which is kind of unfortunate, actually, because Mighty Ducks was a pretty cool name and a pretty cool logo and jerseys, and I really wish that they would bring those back, although I think they did from time to time, but... um, Yeah, the jerseys were really cool, and they come into play in later later versions of the movie, but in future sequels. The Mighty Ducks also featured one of my favorite players of all time, Paul Correa, who came out of the main Black Bears system, and I was able to attend part of the Hall of Fame ceremonies in which he and Timo Solani were inducted together, which was really cool. That was uh, the same year that Mark Recchi went in, and I was able to interview him, uh, which I mentioned in an episode a few weeks back. Anyways, that's my review of The Mighty Ducks. I say overall, decent hockey movie, especially 
you know, when it came out, I was 11, I believe, uh, right in my wheelhouse. I really enjoyed it as a kid. I think it still holds up. The hockey production isn't top quality, but it's not bad. Uh, the storyline is pretty decent. You know, the Bombay, Coach Riley, kind of uh, how he developed into a, a man that clearly influenced by losing his father, by his hockey coach, bitterness and resentment that came from that, and that he's able to make good as a hockey coach, albeit while serving community service. Uh, there's some laughs in there. And it did spawn two other movies, which we will address uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, I say, is too low for this movie. Look at the target audience. If you survey them, I think you would see that it would be at least in the 70s or 80s. So yeah, that's my review of The Muddy Ducks. Let me know what you think for a early 90s kids movie. Based on hockey, I really think it, you know, helped a great deal to expand hockey in the United States. Um, it gave some love to the Minnesota North Stars. There was some NHL talent in there. And, of course, the influence that it had on the Anaheim team in the early 90s can't be understated. There was a lot of expansion that came. Uh, you know, Florida Panthers joined at the same time. The San Jose Sharks came in later. And then we had the Blue Jackets. Uh, the Wild got, uh, sorry, Minnesota got a new team in the form of the Wild after the North Stars left. Um, so I really think the influence of this team, or this movie rather, is pretty wide-reaching, and uh, its pop culture influence is probably greater than the quality of the movie itself. I think that's a fair assessment and review. So what did you think about Mighty Ducks? Uh, I like the hockey part. Yeah. One. They did bad, but then they did good. Mm -hmm. And the part when they discover, when they go in the guy's limo, yeah, and they go like, drive, 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 <laughs> drive, drive, drive. And then they drive down the ice, and then yeah. the mom came. Right. So at a, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give Mighty Ducks? 100. No, 1 being terrible, 10 being excellent. Ten. Ten what would you give it? Nine. Ooh, okay. Henry, what would you give it on nine? And a hundred. A hundred. Wow, very good. Like I said, uh, 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, but if you check with the target audience, much more favorable reviews from Mighty Ducks. Oh my gosh, why are we still... As I mentioned off the top, we're going to be looking this week at some of the great moments and storylines from the 2019-20 season, such as it was prior to the pause. We hope that it will indeed resume, but that is very much up in the air right now as a result of COVID-19 and uh, just basic societal lockdowns that are occurring at the moment. For me, I think the best storyline of the season is the emergence of David Pasternak as a bona fide NHL superstar. We all knew that he was a prolific goal scorer and that he was kind of the future of the Bruins in terms of faces of the franchise. Uh, yeah, just elite level scorers. But uh, for me, just his emergence as one of the NHL's top scorers, period, was 
uh, a revelation, as well as his solid play at both ends of the ice. Surface level numbers, we know that when the NHL went on pause, he was third in NHL scoring, uh, tied with Artemi Panarin of the New York Rangers with 95 points. Pasternak had 48 goals and 47 assists for a total of 91 points in 70 games, a 1.36 point per game average. Now, some will say that his production is kind of uh, buoyed by the fact that he led the league in power play goals with uh, 20. However, if we look at 5-on-5 scoring, he ranked 3rd with 25 goals. Uh, That's behind both Alexander Ovechkin, who had 27, and Austin Matthews, who had 30 goals. So a lot of people will point to Austin Matthews being a prolific scorer at 5-on-5 and say there's a distinct advantage there. However, I was very encouraged by the fact that our boy Pasta had 23 primary assists in 5-on-5 play, and that was well ahead of uh, Austin Matthews, who had 15, and Alexander Ovechkin, who had 10. And Now keep in mind that um, Austin Matthews is a center as well, and their floor, you know, supposed to be driving play as a playmaker as well as a scorer. You don't often see wingers getting more assists than uh, centers at that level of play. So I was very much encouraged by that and the fact that Pasternak had a 55 almost Corsi 4 percentage at even strength. So uh, just an all-around excellent player and his salary of 6.66 million is just such a boon for the Bruins as well. And uh, yeah, his personality off the ice as well is something that uh, we can certainly relish. And he should be a face of not only the Bruins, but of the league moving forward for quite some time. When I think of individual plays, I think of his overtime game-winning breakaway goal against the Edmonton Oilers. I think it was behind-the-legs goal against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, But one of the main moments that stands out for me this season was, I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, was his individual play to break into the offensive zone against the New York Rangers on Black Friday, gains the zone, draws all the defense to him as he moves into the corner, and then he passed it out to a wide-open David Krejci, who potted the game winner behind Hedrick Lundqvist, um, which, to me, that stands out as one of the best and most memorable plays of 2019-20. Now, for Mailbag Wednesday coming up this week, I'm going to be asking you guys to send me some of your favorite moments or plays or storylines from this season. So feel free to start sending me those on Twitter at ENC McLaren or at LO underscore Boston Bruins uh, prior to Wednesday's show. Before we end, I just wanted to uh, talk about this Peter Solaric story that's uh, emerged from Slovakia. All credit to Ty Anderson for posting this on uh, 98.5, the sports hub. And apparently, while he was speaking to some hometown media over the weekend, Salark indicated that he was done with the Bruins and was looking for options uh, even overseas. Now, Bruce Cassidy uh, seems to have been a motivator for Salark 
exploring his options outside of the Bruins system. Solarik said, I can't cross the line to persuade Bruins coach Cassidy for good. That's a rough translation. But basically what he's saying is he wasn't able to convince Cassidy that he was worth putting in the lineup. Uh, Sometimes I felt as if he was just waiting for me to make a mistake to send me back to Providence. He added, they know what they're doing. They've invested years of developing in me. It's all about trust from a coach, and I don't get that. I still hear that I'm ready for the NHL. I have it. But when it goes like this, I need a change and a new start. It is high time. So that's uh, some interesting comments from Solarik on Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy. Solarik is 24 years old. He's a restricted free agent at season's end. Therefore, if he does choose to go back and play overseas, then the Bruins would retain his rights uh, for the time being, uh, but doesn't look like he has much of a desire to return to the Bruins anytime soon. Speaking of not anytime soon, there doesn't really seem to be any updates on when hockey could resume other than exploring neutral site options, playing in front of empty arenas and things like that. But I'll certainly keep you all updated on if and when the 2019-20 Bruins might be able to take back to the ice. We all want this team to try to make good on what was a wonderful regular season and avenge last year's loss to the St. Louis Blues. That makes this current pause all that much more difficult just to know that this is such a special team and they had a great chance to win this year and hopefully they'll be back But in the meantime, we'll reminisce about the season that was. And again, please do hit me up with some of your thoughts and reflections on what stood out to you as memorable from uh, the season through 70 games. Thanks so much for taking some time to listen to today's podcast. Again, I'd encourage you to subscribe on your podcast app so that anytime a new episode drops, it's right there for you to download. Apple users, please rate and review the podcast. That would be very much appreciated as well. Please now turn to Locked On NHL. There's some great content over there and feel free to check out any other Locked On podcasts that are available pertaining to your favorite teams in other sports, including the Celtics, the Patriots, the Red Sox, and uh, any other hockey team that you might be interested in as well. Again, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you're all doing well, taking care of yourselves, and finding ways to, uh, yeah, just get through this time of quarantine, lockdown. Uh, We're all in this together, and uh, I just wish you all well and hope you have a great start to your new week. And we'll be back in a couple days with a brand new episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.